Welcome to the Teams with Edge podcast with me, your host, Ashley Livingstone. I'm an entrepreneur, leader, community member, and at the end of the day, I'm a human being who loves to learn, be creative, who admittedly makes mistakes, and who's on a mission to bring more joy and engagement to my life and my clients' lives. Over the past 18 years in my career, I've encountered various leaders and teams, some that have thrived and others that have been, well, toxic. And I've realized this is actually not unique to me. In fact, we've all been there. This show is my way of helping leaders who desire ease with their teams, who know there's a better way to lead than the traditional forms of leadership from our parents' generation, and who know that leadership is not gained through following a template. This show will offer you insights and interviews with various like-minded leaders who are all inspiring their teams having those uncomfortable conversations, investing in development, and building a culture of gratitude and value, making an impact. My goal with this show is to motivate you to think about the type of leader you most desire becoming and inspire you to connect, engage, and develop your teams today. Ultimately, showing up for them so they show up for you. Building intentional, conscious leadership. We can do this. All right, let's go. Welcome to this week's episode of Teams with Edge. I am excited about my conversation with Paul Nazareth. He has been in the charitable sector for over 20 years, held leadership roles, sat on boards. He is a infamous speaker in this sector and really believes in the power of personal philanthropy as well as the the goal for leaders to really focus on continual personal development and how this only improves your journey. We talk about thinking through our beliefs and how we can continue to grow and adapt. So I really hope that you enjoy today's conversation. And if you do, afterwards, connect with me, send send me your biggest takeaways, and what are some of the key things that you need to rethink? Here's my interview with Paul Nazareth. Welcome everyone to Teams with Edge podcast. I'm your host, Ashley, and I am so thrilled to be joined today and to bring all of you uh, the very wise Paul Nazareth. And thank you so much, Paul, for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Ashley. So Paul, you and I have kind of like been in the same world, but we've really just kept overlapping each other. We've had a few times where We've connected and I follow a lot of what you post on LinkedIn and Instagram and I'm just such a huge fan of yours. Um, and I find that every time you post something, my the aha light bulb goes off in my head. So I think that uh, everyone listening is going to really enjoy our conversation today. 
And we wanted to talk a bit about Adam Grant's book, Think Again. So I would love for you to um, introduce yourself to everyone and, and let us know why you chose, chose this topic. Yeah, so uh, Paul Nazareth, the National Vice President of the Canadian Association of Gift Planners. I've uh, been about 20 years in the sector, working in a lot of different areas, uh, even though I've been focused on gifts of assets and what people often refer to as planned giving. I've worked for charities large and small. I've worked in a bank. I worked for Canada Helps as it went through its gigantic scale from 50 million when I joined to now over 500 million. Uh, and now I teach giving to uh, Canadians, to advisors and charities. But one of the reasons why this book is really kind of tearing my life up right now, why I wanted to talk to you about it as you, as we think together about leadership in the sector is, is rethinking and reimagining all the ways we identify ourselves and all the ways that's held us back. You know, this conversation in some ways was sparked by a talk that you gave at a conference we were both speaking at. And your, your, your talk affected me so much. Number one, I told you this as a joke, but it's true. I actually hurt my neck from nodding along with you so hard because you were talking about your business of special events. And it caused me to write an article for Hillborn, a national article called Confessions of a Former Event Hater. And partially it's because one of the reasons I'm in fundraising is I don't like fundraising. I don't like it the way we do it. I'm not happy with it. My own charities that I love and the charity I give to the most mildly despises me, let alone being thankful or grateful. It treats me like a, like a family member that it has to you know, be around. And there's so much broken about our profession. And again, I was one of our family mottos is you can change other people, all you can change is yourself. And so looking back inwards, and of course this book was a helpful catalyst to say, wow, I am holding on to so much of my own identity, of form and function of what charity means, what ger generosity means, and who we are in a sector and what we are as a sector. So it's been an interesting exercise to re-challenge my own fundamental assumptions. And I would love to chat about it today. Yeah, well, I, and you say, you know, there's so, many, so much in there that we could totally <laughs> unpack. And when you did write that article, it was, you know, I celebrated alone because, you know, now I'm working virtually by myself all the time, but it was like this little, like, wow. And to be heard. Right. And to know that messages that you're putting out there, well, you can agree to disagree or have different points of view. I think it's so healthy and we need that. We cannot all have the same point of view. Um, it's really validating at times when you know, someone can rethink and see something from your point of view or understand your message that you were trying to get out there. So that was a pretty awesome moment for me to, you know, celebrate by myself. <laughs> but I also think, you know, for me, it got me thinking too of how can leaders across all different types of industry actually start to apply this to how they're running their businesses, how they're leading their teams and, and just really challenging themselves. And there's never been a time to challenge ourselves on more. That's one of the toughest parts. Number one, we're living through a crisis. We're living through a global pandemic. It's such a hard time right now, but there's this unique moment in the pause 
when all of a sudden time and space have stopped and everything isn't working the way it's worked for a hundred years. And, and we're thinking, okay, we need to challenge ourselves on elements of uh, racial justice uh, on the very function of our sector, uh, you know, in the sense that we are, we are realizing that colonization and supremacy is baked into what we call philanthropy. And that, again, we are bringing a lot of our own baggage to what we call fundraising and its relationship with generosity, which are two radically different things, which we've been shown in the pandemic too. Again, we were talking about special events. How many times I've seen community members do things like crowdfunding or uh, different business engagement to encourage generosity, circulation, reciprocity in communities, and it's not traditional fundraising. And I had to really confront my own baggage about my problem with that. And what was your what was your problem with that? I had and still have a challenge whenever someone says, you know. Look, uh, straight up, I'm defensive when I hear a national news program and they're highlighting a young person who says, I'm doing great work with my foundation. Here's how we're doing all this. And again, baggage. I've been trying to get on that news program for half of my life. This young person talks about having a foundation. They don't have a legal foundation. They're crowdfunding and it goes into a website and a community action campaign. Now, is that generosity? Is that community good? Absolutely. Is it legal charity? Is it accountable or transparent? Absolutely not. Mm. And so I'm trying to unpack to say, okay, why am I resenting this? Why am I feeling angry at it? Why can't I just support this young person doing something good? But again, the challenge is, is I get the same public that says we should laud this is the same public that anytime there's a charity article, brings me the same tropes the charity executives get paid in overhead and all this stuff there are these there's this tension here and i'm finding great hope in leaders and people who are finding the courage to let it all go can you do that right this comedian i listened to bill burr once talked about leaving some of the greatest baggage in life he said you just gotta like a curling rock just gotta let it go and I'm like, who got, who's got the strength to do that? These are things we've been raised with. And some of this stuff I consider to be part of my DNA. So there's a really big opportunity and challenge here. It's not going to be as easy as, as people think it is. Again, often, even as a young person myself, I remember once having a conversation with my former university president whose office I occupied as a 19-year-old saying, you should change this and you're a horrible sellout person. Now that I'm an executive and I manage staff and a budget, I realize the challenges that they face and that we can't have always have change overnight. It'll blow up the whole business model and everybody's out of a job. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I, I agree with what you were saying too, about just like we were raised in such a way that it, it does become almost that fabric of your DNA, or at least it feels that way, right? It, mm-hmm. it isn't, but it feels yes. that way. And so making change or maybe it's even giving yourself the permission to think about it differently and wondering, I think for myself, wondering what that ripple effect is going to be if you change the way you think and how far can that go and who can it affect? And, you know, as, as a mom raising a young boy, you know, what can I change now that is actually going to change the way he does things in the future? I think for me, that's my biggest motivation is just 
how can we do better now and rethink things now so that it, it kind of weaves into the fabric of their DNA. Maybe that's pretty bold. <laughs> it, but it, but uh, totally possible. And again, the, the one weirdo upside of this whole thing that we're going through is the world has not stopped like this in a hundred years, straight up industrial revolutions, technology revolutions, all that. It has never, we've never had this moment to, you know, the concept of reprogramming code means you have to stop the system. <laughs> when I learned from the great uh, technology leaders at Canada Helps, we were a legacy platform that was always moving and you can't stop to, you know, swap in code and all that stuff. We can do that right now. And so, you know, this is something you and I share where uh, I'm uh, raising two little boys myself too with my partner. And, you know, this is why I really believe in books and these things where someone has thought this out deeply and given me frameworks. So one of the great ones in this one was Patrick Lencioni, one of the most well-published uh, and known authors in the business world with his global best-selling book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He also wrote a book called The Three Functions of a Frantic Family. And in that, he and another favorite author of mine, Robin Sharma, talk about having family mottos and sayings that help to do that. How do you reprogram DNA? How do you, frankly, brainwash and colonize? Uh, you, use, you use mantras. You say things over and over again. So we as a family have developed, co-developed, again, developing it together. About 15, 20 sayings that we say on a weekly and sometimes daily basis to say, what do we believe? How exactly does it play out? And so that it, they've got that no matter what for the future. Yeah, Again, it's that like, voice in yeah. their head, right? That's it. Being that positive voice in their head. And I think too, you know, these things that we, I think people carp, I'm not even gonna say that word right. We put it into boxes, right? It's like, here's my family box. I do this with my family and here's how I am at work and I do it here. And here's how I am with my friends. And then I'm, I'm doing these things, but really- to be a bit more authentic all the time is to bring all of those pieces of your life together and taking those mottos that you might have with your family, but applying them at work and applying them in your friend groups or, you know, with other colleagues. And, you know, I think leaders can absolutely have team mottos, right? We don't see yeah. that enough. We, you know, especially since the pandemic hit and yes, it's been a pause, but I think a lot of folks would challenge and say they haven't stopped. Mm -hmm. They haven't stopped to take that pause because I, I could name a whole bunch of different reasons of the because, but there's so many, so much pressure to keep going and keep justifying um, their jobs and their purpose. And, you know, can we work from home? Can we do it all? But leaders almost need to implement the pause and implement some of those team mottos like how are you going to how are you going to help your team think differently as a leader and you know let's be honest it's not the, the pause is only the physicality mm -hmm. the fact is is that what has truly happened is a collapse of everything into one place and actually physically one space uh, you know, I'm having one heck of a day today and my whole family's here. The kids are trying to do school in one place. My partner's in another room trying to do her work. I'm trying to record this podcast with you. It is collapsed. It's pandemonium. It is, you know, and, and again, one of the weird parts is, is that in the collapse, and people use words like authenticity, you know, all of the armor has fallen away. 
all of my strength to keep people at bay has fallen away. Mm -hmm. And so this is our, our realization. It's all in one place. We're all one person. There's no delineation silos or anything anymore. So all I'm talking about actually in a lot of ways is survival. How can we actually be what we need to be in this new space where it's all in one place and actually God willing one day in the after when we get some of those beautiful silos back, boy, I'm getting excited about silos and life delineation. But how will we rebuild so that those things work for us? So again, um, the, the family mottos, the personal strategy, uh, bringing any, you know, again, in the collapse and the stress where we're doing more with less than we've ever done before, we've got to be strategic, right? So that's one of the big things I'm thinking about when building back is how to bring strategy to every element of our work, life, and business. Yeah, that's such a... I think it's the strategy, but also the implementation of said strategy. I think the two, and I'm sure you agree, they have to go hand in hand. And, you know, even when we read, I, I'm an avid reader as well. And I love, I, I love to consume, right? I love right. to consume it and have those major ahas while I'm reading it. And you know, pretty much every book I read is either doggy, doggy eared, underlined. Um, you know, I write in the margins. I, I can never share any of my books because I've marked them all up. But it's the implementation. It's what you do with all of that new knowledge and and those ahas. Like how, you know, how do we actually start taking steps to implement? Yeah, and and again, it's raw. Mm -hmm. that's the challenge is there used to be all this fanciness and strategy and workbooks and all that stuff again right now we again this is one of the things about the adam grant book is what are you letting go of i've, I've had less energy less power than i've ever had before in the first year of the pandemic i did lose the ability to read and a lot of people know me as a reader it that was destroyed in my life because all the silent places all the airplanes and, and planes trains and automobiles went away and so that, that time was gone and then even the mental capacity was gone. And I'm very grateful that in year two, I've, I've, I've figured out how to rebuild it and reboot. But there's a rawness to all of this that we have to say, I can't do it all. I sh you shouldn't try to do it all. So what am I letting go? What baggage, what time, what things? It's time to cross off a lot of stuff off the plate because it's just not gonna happen. Yeah, well, and I even ha I had this conversation uh, with Julie Cole and we were talking about leaders and, you know, their ability to delegate or, you know, pass things on and give opportunities to other people. And part of that is that letting go, right? What can you let go? What are you, where are your energy leaks? Where are the things that are just not bringing you joy? And how can you spend more time doing what is bringing you joy and let go of the things that are not filling your cup at all yeah and sometimes too how do we fight the how do we fight ourselves mm -hmm. you know i'll give you a case study my own leader i'm a vice president and my ceo has really been helping me in listening because she can also read the tea leaves of my tweets uh that i'm not okay mm -hmm. and saying paul i know you're someone who has trouble saying no to also helping others and what are some of the things that i know you do that you're going to also want to let go of and let me give you permission you know, sometimes we, we joke, if you remember the old days, everybody's worked retail in your life. 
And uh, if you've ever had to go to the back and said to your manager or boss, hey, yell at me because this customer wants something that I can't give them and I need to you to yell at me so I can tell them that you said no. Uh, and maybe we need help from our leaders in that to say to people, are you needing some sort of self-permission that I can help you with? Because there's a lot of people, I've also got a colleague of mine right now, she is an intense, passionate, high power professional. She's burning herself up. She's like a candle burning that wax and she's gonna hit the bottom and she needs the team's self-permission to say, look, you're putting out all this energy. Here's where we can pick up some of the slack and here's where looking at this, we're saying you should let this go. We want you want to do it all. You know, another leader of mine used to say every day, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yes. And, and yeah. it was one of the reasons we as a team outmaneuvered multi-million dollar competitors because we didn't get caught up in the ego of being the, the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfection. Uh, we, we, Perfection's yeah. the the devil. <laughs> yes. And so I really think too what's been working for me. Um, and some of my colleagues who are really focused on this, this notion of letting things go and, and not having to do it all, right? This has been a big message too that women have been struggling with and challenged with forever is how do you be okay with enough and not having to do it all, you know, even though so much says you can be it all, you can have it all, well, let it go it's the implementation of boundaries. And I think that leaders have a role to play in helping your team maintain their boundaries. And it can be as simple as saying, like, don't send emails in the evening. Don't send emails on the weekends or, you know, just help them, you know, not have to be at the beck and call of everyone who needs them at any time. And 50% of these wounds are self-inflicted. For sure. Right, again, but you just got to remember, again, I always share with people that my worst enemy is myself because I drive too hard. I, I, I'm, I'm greedy for good and for progress and the impact I get to have in my job, but I'm killing myself to do it. And my coworkers, my colleagues, my own leaders help me sometimes fight me against myself, right? The other part, though, is that we have to recognize when people are weak and strong and that equal doesn't mean the same. I've got a great colleague of mine who this person's circadian rhythms are different than anybody, everybody else's. Mm -hmm. They do not function before nine or 10 o'clock. And in fact, for me in the years when blogging and social media was a dirty thing and my, my uh, workplace told me not to do it anytime, even around work time, I only knew how to blog and write and think creatively between two and five in the morning when my, my little ones were babies and I was up anyway. But then that became the habit. And if there was a time when it did become part of my job, I couldn't do it. Uh-huh. So now it's, it's recognizing in our peers, when are you strong? When are you weak? Are you the super morning person? I got a couple of coworkers who wake up at four. That's their strength hour. And a couple others, their, their strength times are super late at night when everybody's asleep and everything gets quiet. And there are others. I've got another colleague of mine whose superpower is the weekend work. But we've all learned, hey, you know, email services have the ability to delay emails. Yes, they so do. pack them out so that they can all ship out on Monday morning and stop stressing out the rest of the team. Uh, Slack and all these teams, messenger things have off buttons. Uh, and one, you know, one of my things that I do, which drives my friends, family and coworkers crazy, 
is I throw the devices away. I keep my phone, my tablet, other things in a box by the front door and it upsets everybody in my life except for my immediate family who is my number one priority. Even if I can't turn these things off, I won't even listen to them. Yep. And we've got to make that time for ourselves. Yeah. And I think those are all, but these are natural, like these are habits that you have to develop. And I think our leaders can definitely encourage these healthy behaviors and habits by modeling, right? Just like, again, I always say that leadership is often a lot like parenting, right? You have to model the behavior you want to see. And, but also be understanding, like you said, that not everyone is going to work the same way, but figuring out how as a team to work collaboratively and cohesively together. And, and I think that that's, again, where this book really, you know, is so important for leaders to change the way they think, because it doesn't have to be a nine to five. I, I thought we were over that, (laughs) you know, I thought we'd already kind of like gone past that era. But I realized, you know, I did because I started my own business and I'm not, you know, quote unquote, working for anyone anymore. And I don't have to punch in and punch out. But I realized when I spend time with my clients that they are still following that nine to five. They can't just take off at four o'clock to start their weekend early and they, or at least they feel they can't. I don't know. I, I thought we were, I thought we were past that. I thought, you know, the you know, pandemic would actually open that up more for people to work when it was convenient for you. But I'm getting the sense that that's not the case. I think it's gone the reverse. I think, again, this is a great New Yorker cartoon that said, do I, do I work from home or do I live at work? Mm. You know, and again, this, you know, as we start to unpack it, I see so many people, even colleagues like yourself who have clients, well, they're national clients. So forget about just the nine to five. You got Atlantic and Pacific and all these time zones we're trying to fulfill. Truly, you know, I don't know what work-life balance means. I just really feel like we have to find the balance that works for us. It's kind of like the same way when we think about medicine and all these things today. They're saying it's all about you and your DNA and your structure. You've got to work it out. What foods and all these things work for you. We got to do that with our time and our work as well. Yeah. I'm a big believer in saying that like the work-life balance, I've kind of have a big X through that word and I'm looking for work-life harmony, right? I want the two to work together. And, um, one of my former uh, leaders, you know, Mary McPherson, uh, Mm -hmm. she was always such a great one to tell me to like, stop thinking about balance in a, I did 10 hours here. So I have 10 hours here and that we're always measuring and trying to find equal, but maybe this month it's super busy for work because we have projects, but then next month I am taking time off and I'm spending it with my family. And that's where that harmony and that, you know, quote unquote balance comes into play that we shouldn't be looking at it as a equal every day, but over the course of a month over the course of our life, however it is, that it has to feel good to you. You know, Tim Ferriss, the entrepreneurial writer, uh, you know, talks about spooling up and spooling down intentionally and actually taking that from your week to your quarters to your year to a decade. 
to say, you know, you can plan up how these things want to spool up and spool down, but give yourself that permission to say, this is the busy time of year, and this is the downtime of year, and even though it won't slow down, I must slow down. Yes. You know, even Harvard Business, um, they wrote this revolutionary article on research they did that found out one of the secrets of men's mental health is how much men in business lie about how much they work. Uh, and how they project about how they're working at times and make and make up the balance and things and how women, this is Harvard Business Study, uh, try to do it all. And then they actually went and took their award-winning podcast, The Idea Cast, and broke it up into five podcasts. And there's several of them now that are aimed specifically at women leaders. One of them is called The Overanxious Achiever, another one from an HR perspective. But to acknowledge the fact that one, in this case, women have borne the brunt of this change in the economy in all of the negative events, we're talking about a five to one weighted towards women. And that's where we really need to see people support themselves, find what they need, build what they need. And so that's, I think that's the next step. Yeah, well, and yeah, I think it's just such a an awesome way to start thinking, right? Of just what could happen if we gave ourselves permission to let go? What could happen if our leaders supported that notion? And, you know, I just think about that ripple effect, how far could it stretch? And really what would happen if you didn't do all the things? It makes me excited, actually. <laughs> I'm Indeed. smiling. People, people can't see it, but it's actually making me uh, very excited at the thought of like letting so much go. For me, it's, it's slightly terrifying. Uh, I have this one mentor of mine, a guy named Numan Ashraf, who teaches uh, social purpose uh, structure and governance at uh, U of T, Rotman. And he once said to me, you know that guy you know that you need to be and become? Maybe you, you set a goal of five or 10 years to become that person. You've read all these books and you're defining this person. Let me tell you something. You could reach into your body today and pull out the core of that definition and be that guy today. And I was like, this is like Indiana Jones when that dude pulls someone's heart out. I can't do that. He's like, you could. I'm like, I couldn't. And he was, you could. And he shared with me several different case studies of, of when people were forced to do it. And that, again, is the pandemic, where when, if you're feeling stretched in what the New York Times say recently, languishing, you know, if you're feeling all that, this is your, your signal to figure out how to do it for yourself. What can I cut away? What can I let go of to be the best I can be? And it will not be balanced, but it will be beautiful and harmonic, symphonic. Yeah. And it'll be yours truly right yeah and and no one else's and i i do think the pandemic has given us a few gifts and that ability to slow down maybe not from work but just in other things you know other parts of our lives and while it it can seem sad you know the not get driving back and forth to baseball practices for you know schlepping your kids all over the place and running from one meeting across town to the other meeting across town and, you know, spending more time eating out with colleagues than eating in with family. I think there's been a few gifts, right? It's really opened people's eyes. And this is the time, And you know, part of me sometimes fears going back to normal because I think that 
we haven't learned enough yet. And I hope that people still take this time to, you know, do this, think again, open your mind, what, what hasn't been working for you? Um, or what has been working, but not because of the right reasons. And the, and I think the secret to that is, is working on it, thinking about it, big believer in journaling. Mm. Uh, you know, I used to hear it all the time in coaching and all these improvement books and things. It wasn't until I was at an event, uh, it was a leadership center, nonprofit group. When I heard the CEO of Imagine Canada, Bruce McDonald, talking about how he works it out, how he journals it out and he defines things and he maps things out. And that really helped me a lot. I think we need to do that before we are released into the after. And, and you've pro- pulled out the secret power word here, Ashley, boundaries. We need to map out what we're going to need to be our, our boundaries in the after and then put that stake in the ground, that, that Gandalf, you know, you shall not pass. We need to say that to ourselves, and but we won't know until we map it out. Yeah. And heck, even maybe start testing it out as we start to open up in the after. Again, that will need to be a slow process. Mm-hmm. I'm having waking, you know, nightmares of, of uh, all these special events and things I'm going to have to be at. I'm like, I don't know how fast physically I'm going to be able to go back to this, even though I was the conference guy, the people person, it is going to be a slow build back. And we, and again, this is what they mean by build back better, but do it on your terms. Yeah. And I think to be curious, be curious about those feelings. So if you do something and you have a boundary and it's been crossed or you have honored it, you know, look at how, how are you feeling about that? And I think that's one of the nice things about journaling is you can put down that curiosity. And as you work through it, be really curious as to why did that upset me? Why does that feel good? Um, You know, why do I care what other people are going to think? Like work through all of that and, and do so with curiosity instead of judgment. Because I think that that's a, also a habit we get into is this fear of judgment, but we also judge. And how can you just look at things with curiosity rather than judgment? You know, one of the things when someone asked Brene Brown one time, if you, what's the thing that annoys you the most about how people react to your work? She says, you know, I hate when people call me the, the queen of vulnerability or whatever. She says, there's so many different nuances to my work. And for me, one of the big things which I've gotten from her work is, is passing through what people think of vulnerability, which is what is what triggers what? One of the biggest things she talks about is shame. What triggers shame in our judgy, often certain religious upbringings, family value upbringings? You know, again, my, my mother was a productivity you know, taskmaster. She would shout at different times of the day, do you have things to do? And I would have to list the things I was doing. And if I wasn't doing anything, you're going to hell. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, it's, it's about you unpacking to say, what are my value beliefs around this? And again, the journaling, even I used to have a buddy who was an engineer who would rate everything. How did I feel about that meal, that interaction, mm-hmm. that my, my commute? And he would so re-engineer his whole life on how things made him feel and how he reacted to him. I told him, you should build this into a business. Yeah. Uh, and instead he went to work for NASA and maps the stars. Ah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the other one that, that, that's out there is, uh, is helping people again, just you know, test the waters 
And that's the kind of thing that we can help ourselves do is use these kind of functions. There's again, there's some great reads out there, different assessment tools and things like that too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, just in the way we think and the way we open up is going to just change things, naturally change things. And as we all know, change is ongoing. It's consistent is the one constant and helping each other embrace that as well as, you know, navigate our, our way through it, that the pandemic has made people feel so alone. And I think our, our leaders and our teams, this is the time to really connect and help each other through it. So, you know, for your leader, for example, being able to reach out and say, I know things aren't okay. Here's what you can let go. And I think that that's just a brilliant piece that so many people can apply and it, it doesn't add more to their plate, right? Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid of taking on more um, because it's actually just helping people through it. Yeah. And again, you, the key thing here, don't do it alone. Yeah. We are, we are alone and we're isolated and all that stuff, but we've got it. You know, one a great uh, author of mine was just musing yesterday saying, what would happen if this happened in 92? where we didn't yeah. have fully functional cell phones, we didn't have any of this technology, it would have been so different. And we've mm. got that this time around. Uh, but I also believe that, it, that work and your bosses and your formal kind of coworkers, why are we always putting this on them? You know, again, it's our, our, our leadership often, it's their job to help us function well, but not the whole thing, right? They shouldn't be responsible for our mental health and all that kind of stuff. So go and find these networks and these people. Now I've got a bunch of WhatsApp groups and LinkedIn messengers, and it's it's every different function of who I am. You know, one is me as a person of color and a group that we can talk about the things we're going through. Another one is my subset of fundraising, where we can whine and complain about how misunderstood we are. And you know, other ones are the sector, but I've got a whole bunch of them of business owners, of, of people that are not in my regular world. And we're all just helping each other get by yeah. and just make it as simple as it needs to be text message. If it needs to be just keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple, but stay connected and just open yourselves up to the possibilities of, of what can happen if you, you just are open to it, I guess. Embrace the exhaustion. That's one yeah. of my models of this whole thing again. <laughs> is, is I, it's all fallen away because I don't have the physical, the physical strength to maintain it. So let it go just, yeah. you know, and, and be who you need to be in these things. Again, when people, we started the conversation with, how are you? Well, I let people know, I always say, I'm not okay. And that's okay. Yep. Right. I'm standing in a house that's on fire. Well, I'm hot. No surprise. We shouldn't be surprised by that. So that's it's okay. time to give ourselves that permission to just, you know, let it be and, uh, and keep going and, and get the things we need and let go of the rest. Yeah. And I think yeah. that it's actually, you know, that, that final gift is the pandemic has helped us all actually see each other a little bit more human. Mm -hmm. We have all just been a little bit more human through all of this, or, you know, I, I would hope that we can keep doing that because my son shows up to 90% of my meetings. Now he'll do something crazy in the background. And, you know, it's just, he's part of my, he's my colleague. Now he's my, he's my little coworker. And I used to be so a 
apologetic. And now people are kind of like, where is he? What, what, why didn't he show up? (laughs) So it's just, you know, yeah, everything's going on and, you know, being human is, is how we're going to get through it actually. So, and everybody's different. Again, I love my boundaries. I can't wait to return to the sterility of some of the things I used to have. My eight-year-old said recently, listen, I love y'all, but I never want to see you again. (laughs) (laughs) After this, I want to do my thing. Y'all do your thing. Let's go live in our lives instead of being cheek to jowl every you know all the time. Yes. So again, again, this is that whole thing: test where you're weak and strong, where you're joyous, or you're having to put in the energy and work, and then re-engineer your life to make it work for you. Absolutely, I love that. What a yes. great way to close out our conversation, Paul. Where can people, if they want to hear more from you, follow you? Where can people find you? You know, one of my kind of networking things is you should be easy to find. So, you know, if you just Google me, you'll find me. But my place of residence, as I often say, is LinkedIn. That's the starting point. And from there, I'm on everything. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all those things. Uh, but it's, uh, it's easy, yeah, I'm easy to find that place. LinkedIn's a good place to start. And uh, again, uh, you know, I have different voices. LinkedIn is that professional world voice. Twitter, I'm just trying to help my peers right now. It's very much a news feed uh, on those things. But I want to meet people where they are and, and help them any way I can. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I know you've been such a voice of support uh, in your communities. And uh, I thank you for that. And I thank you for spending, uh, you know, the last 45 minutes with me uh, and making the time for it because it's, it's important to me and I appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you for having me, Ashley. And thanks again for helping me fall in love again with a really important part of our profession, the power of events and the power of community. Yeah. We let money take over too much and forget that why we're in this is for things, powerful things, social change, love, humanity. We got to get back to that. And you Absolutely. helped me do that. And I'm very grateful. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening to, to this week's episode of Teams with Edge. I hope you found the conversation engaging and inspiring and just opens your mind a little bit more as to what teamwork and leadership can look like. If there's someone in your life, a leader or a team member who should be listening to this podcast and could use a pick-me-up, please share and let's get more people listening and creating conscious leadership together.